they're not even responding. I think that's the hardest part is just the crickets. <laughs> you know, just respond and just tell me like, I can't think about this right now. And then I'll go away for a little while. Just no response feels like, oh, should I keep following up or should I take the no responses? Like, leave me alone. I don't know. Welcome back to Tiny Seed Tales, a series where I follow a founder through their struggles, victories, and failures as they build their startup. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Tiny Seed, the first startup accelerator for SaaS bootstrappers. We're back with Brian and Scotty, co-founders of Gather. Last time we spoke, they were bouncing back from the initial shock of the COVID-19 crisis with the potential to sign two large enterprise deals that could help them out with an ongoing cash crunch. In our last episode, you mentioned that you had landed two big deals. Actually, they had not yet closed, but you felt like they were going too soon. And there was going to be like, if they were annual deals, there's going to be about $15,000 in cash coming through, which would be a big deal for you right now. Scotty, I'm curious to hear an update on those. Like, did either one of them close? What's the status? Yeah. So one of them did um, just recently close. We had another one that was an existing customer that was potentially moving to a higher tier, and that did not happen. But the one that was the enterprise that was new coming in, we did just close them. So that was very exciting. That's awesome. Would you say that's part of your, you know, maybe your high point or your your biggest wins of the last six weeks are landing these bigger deals on the annual contracts? Yeah, for sure especially because we looked back to how long it took us to get to this point, And the first touch with them was almost a year ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's a heck of a sales cycle, but it came at an interesting time because I would think that people would be pulling back given COVID as well as worldwide recession in essence. Is it that they needed to go more remote, that they weren't going to be in an office? No, actually for them, they had a software, a proprietary software that they built internally um, years ago. And it's just, they have not been maintaining it. The person who built it's you know, no longer around. And they've actually been actively seeking a new tool and have been testing all of them out there. So that's another big win is that we beat out the competition apparently. So yeah, so I think it was just it was just the right timing for them on their journey of finding something new. That's great. I think this goes even further towards proving out the hypothesis of going up market if you can beat out another competitor that's already up market. So there was if I read in Slack, I thought you mentioned that over the past 6 weeks that you had landed two larger clients. Is that right or did I misread that? Yeah, I think it was just that one. I mean, we did sell an, another annual within that time frame. I think that's what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah, it was an annual, but it was a smaller customer. Yeah, it was it was a more normal annual for us. Okay, the one that you know Scotty was just talking about was what we call an enterprise deal, so it was much larger in scope than the normal annual. Yeah, you said like several seats, data migration, plus extra feature development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was several seats. It was custom data migration and storage. And it was also a bunch of custom development work, which I think really kind of helped close the deal because they needed some specific things that their previous system had. And it was sort of a deal breaker if we didn't have those things. We went through 
you know, sort of a back and forth negotiation on the things that they really needed. And then we gave them a price at our own development cost so that we actually didn't really make any profit off of it. But with the agreement that, you know, the features that we were building would be usable by any existing and future customers. So from our perspective, we made sure that the things that they wanted also were aligned with our wants, which they were, fortunately. And so it was kind of a win-win. They got what they wanted, and we got some new cool features paid for. That's what I was going to ask, because there's always a danger of taking money for custom development if you go off and it becomes consulting wear and you're building something that no one else will use. So that's a big win, I would say, to get paid to build a feature that you expect other customers to be able to use. Yep, absolutely. And it got my wheels spinning because after we finally closed that, I just kept thinking to myself, well, you know, if I can do this once, can I do this again? Or can we do this again? And so I don't know. I'm kind of optimistic that maybe we can sort of like build the product that we want by closing these sorts of deals and move into the hospitality world, which is kind of where we where we ultimately would like to be. And, you know, I think we're the real you know, opportunity lies. Yeah, I've heard this referred to as customer-funded development. It's always a really tough balance, you know, because customers will come in and say, I want this super custom thing, and it winds up being a challenge. You then have consulting clients instead of software customers, in essence. And you got to be able to manage that relationship pretty well and not overpromise, but also be able to deliver on, on what they want. Yeah, that was certainly my biggest concern because I didn't really... I wanted to make sure that they weren't having us build things that were irrelevant to the larger customer base. And then I also wanted to make sure that they weren't just going to kind of try to micromanage the design and implementation of the features. And the person that I was working with on their team, you know, she even kind of mentioned a couple of times, like, I don't want to dictate UI. And the fact that they, you know, had worked to build a custom system in the past gave me some sense that they sort of had some understanding of how the software process went and gave me some confidence that like we could build these things for them as best as we can under our own quality expectations and like everybody would be happy but you know obviously we haven't begun this work yet so we'll <laughs> we'll see how it goes it'll be the great litmus test i think to whether or not we want to pursue this strategy going forward Brian mentioned that this variety of customer-funded development work might be a means to an end to get them closer to serving the hospitality industry, which is a space they want to move into. After all this time, moving up market has an end in sight, but there are still some obstacles to clear. The biggest setback for me right now is just outbound is not going as well as it used to. And honestly, even though I've been doing a lot of email and a ton of follow-up, we've got a, a much better system for doing that right now. It's just people are just not as responsive and that's not really getting much better. Like inbound has been fine. It's a little down this month over the previous, but yeah, it's just the trying to get people engaged is a little bit more difficult or whenever I do hear responses, oftentimes it's just like, yeah, you know, our office is in this lull or we're just now getting back to projects. So I know it's COVID related. And so that's just been kind of frustrating because, you know, we're, we're ready to go, but the market's just a little slow right now. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing as well from a lot of companies. How about you, Scotty? Same, different? Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of follow-up with people that were in the trial and fairly active before COVID and, you know, offering them discounts and things like that, um, you know, and 
they're not even responding. I think that's the hardest part is just the crickets. <laughs> you know, just respond and just tell me like, I can't think about this right now. And then I'll go away for a little while. Just no response feels like, oh, should I keep following up or should I take the no responses? Like, leave me alone. I don't know. Right. Well, according <laughs> to Steli Effie, you should take it as keep following up. Well, I was just going to say, <laughs> I'm sure Steli would be like, keep at it. <laughs> right. Go, Steli. Hey, by the way, we're using clothes now for our, our CRM and it's awesome. just so much better than what we were using before. So shout out to Steli for clothes. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Close.com, folks, if you haven't seen it. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. You know, Steli has spoken at a bunch of microconfs and at one of the events he was saying, I was live tweeting his talk and he said, yeah, you should always be following up in essence. And I was like, you know, there's that ABC always be closing. I was like, always be following up, ABFU. And I went to tweet that and I was like, wait a minute, what? That doesn't work. That doesn't work the way I, that didn't come out the way I meant it to. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, I like that because that's what I found too. It's like, yeah, you can try to close, but these things just, you can certainly move them in the direction to some degree that you need them to go. But really it is just sort of, honestly, it's kind of like never letting go until you're explicitly told to go away. And even if that means like, you know, I'll, I'll tickle stuff forward for six, nine, 12 months sometimes mm -hmm. just to make sure that, you know, if they told me, Hey, the product looks great, but it's just, it's missing these things and I can't not have those things. And so I'll just be like, fine, no problem. We'll leave you alone. And then, you know, 12 months later, I'll look, you know, get that reminder from the tickle and check in on them, you know, or just at least say, have we got those features now so I can reach back out to them? So you're right. Like just making sure you basically never lose track of someone is like a huge win. The upside to this situation is that Brian and Scotty can reflect on their outreach process. Unfortunately, in a recession, some potential clients just won't be able to make it work, and there may be nothing you can do but wait. On that note, I checked in with Scotty about the uncertainty she was eager to move past last week. There's still that, you know, tinge of uncertainty, but I think, honestly, I think there's always that, whether there's a pandemic or not, when you're first getting started and just like, plugging along, there's always that kind of like tension of, hmm, how's this month going to be? But, you know, I think we definitely felt concerned that we would see a mass exodus and we haven't yet. And hopefully we won't. In fact, our turn has been the same, if not less than usual. And I've had several of our existing customers you know, I sent out an email just sort of checking in with everybody and seeing how they're doing and offering help if they need it. And I had several respond back that said, you know, we're so grateful to have your software to help us run our business remotely during this time. We couldn't do it without you. So that eased that concern even more for me. The feedback that we've been getting from some of our existing users, you know, that we've really been a saving grace for them during this time has, it feels good to actually, you know, to feel like, oh, our, our software, yes, it's helping them in their business, but it's helping them in a deeper way right now. Like they're able to continue to work despite all the stuff that's happening largely in part of our software. So I'm feeling optimistic. That's good. And Brian, you were excited about hopefully signing these big new customers to fund feature development. And also confirming and solidifying that your new positioning as you've gone up market is working. Where is your head at with that latter piece about, you know, that there's been a, so much uncertainty over the past 
six, seven months. I don't even know how long we've been talking at this point. But it's been it's been quite a while, and you really went from a you know, lower end of the market in terms of pricing and customers you were serving, and you're now signing these bigger deals at price points that are three, four, five times what they were back then. So where's your head at in terms of your confidence in this new positioning? I think it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, we we definitely have plenty of signal that people are willing to pay us <laughs> quite a bit more than they were paying us when like for instance when we started Tiny Seed. I think when we started there we were charging twenty nine or thirty nine dollars a month, which in retrospect is just, you know, terrifying that <laughs> that we were priced that low. And granted we've added a lot more value to the product since that time too, but but do you remember the first time you talked to Anar and I and we were like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not yeah. this is not yeah. the right price for this product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. And it's you feel silly in retrospect. So I think that we do have some market validation. I think that we've also learned that like the sales cycles are longer and people are more difficult to corral. And whereas before we would get, you know, pretty reliably 10 new customers inbound per month, you know, now maybe we're just getting two to five, but they're bigger. So it's kind of a bit of a trade-off. So we just have to merge the two to some degree where it's like, you know, the deal flow is greater and we can stomach the longer sales cycles. But then if we can get to that traction where, you know, we are selling 10 new customers per month at the price points that we're doing right now, like it's a game changer. So we haven't quite gotten there yet, but we certainly have proved that the product is valuable enough to sell at those prices, maybe even more. And now we're just, you know, continuing to climb the ladder. We did also learn that we're a lot further away from this, I keep using this term hospitality, this much bigger segment of the market that designs hotels and restaurants and cruise ships and government buildings. And I mean, it's a huge world. And there's a lot of opportunity there for us to get into. And there's not a ton of competition there either, but it's difficult to get there. The chasm is kind of deep from a future standpoint. And so we've learned, you know, through this process that yes, we're moving up market, but we're not that far up market yet. And obviously when COVID hit and we kind of had to scale back development exercises, you know, we kind of had to check ourselves and and not, you know, run head first into building all of those cool new hospitality features. And we're just going to have some patience to get it done. Or like I said, try to get another one or two of these customers to pay us to build those features. It feels like the Gather crew is regaining their confidence and starting to move forward again after COVID looked like it might have a deep impact on their business. In fact, they're restarting a new venture from before the pandemic hit. To give a little context, several months back, Brian and Scotty decided to dip their toes into the world of services with a virtual coordinator that would complement their software. The idea was to bring in some high-value clients and make some extra cash. And although they had to shelve it due to the COVID crisis, there's been some renewed interest. Initially, we we thought of the services side as a way to get some revenue fast. And when we sort of put it out to our existing customers, you know, we had some interest, but we were offering it at an hourly rate. And of course, they were doing all the math and they were excited about it until they realized the cost. And so it kind of fizzled. There was more interest right before COVID and then COVID hit and it just completely went dark. And then recently we had another company come back with interest. And all of this whole process, I've still continued to think about it, but it's sort of been 
thinking about it a little bit differently and how can it be interesting and work well for them, but also be somewhat profitable for us and make sense for us from a revenue standpoint. So I did change my thinking around the pricing model. And before we were thinking it would be more of a subscription a monthly subscription cost, or you could buy chunks of hours. But again, that was causing them to do too much math to figure out, oh, how much each hour was costing. So um, what I've decided to do with this first project that we've landed is more of a project-based pricing, which seems to make more sense to them and actually in the end to me as well. So I'm hopeful that this is something that could potentially help us with revenue more quickly, kind of getting a chunk of revenue. And if this first project goes well, then I'd like to potentially grow it. It'd be nice if I could productize it. That's something that I would I would like to do. I'm not sure if that's possible. This is pretty high touch services, but definitely finding a team to help with the services side. And then of course we'd be using the software to also manage the services, which could potentially drive some of the features that we build for the software down the road. And how do you keep from going down the slippery slope of essentially just becoming a consulting wing and having it suck up all of your time? Yeah, I think that's going to be the most important piece and that is going to be actually process, really setting up SOPs and figuring out how I can best manage the services side without just taking on all the work myself or, you know, feeling like I'm the only one that can do the work the way it needs to be done. I had a really great conversation with one of the Tiny Seed mentors, and she was really helpful in, you know, making me rethink. One of the things she said to me was, you know, if you think you're the only one that can do this, I I really challenge you to debunk that thought and think about ways that you can actually create processes around what you know and put it on paper so that you can basically pass that off to someone else. And that was really, really helpful. Great advice. That's awesome advice. Who gave that to you? Asia. Mm, great. She's a systems thinker and knows, she knows yeah. a lot about consulting. So that's I was very impressed with, um, that's cool. with her knowledge. Yeah. Cool. So that is exciting then. Would you say you're looking forward to it or is it kind of a cautious optimism of like there is some revenue coming and it's a new project to optimize and to figure out how to make it work going forward without having it suck up all your time? Yeah, all of that. I'm really excited about the opportunity and to kind of dive in. It feels like a puzzle that I need to solve to make sure that I'm not creating a job for myself. That's the last thing I want to do. So I'm excited about setting up the processes and figuring out how to make this run as efficiently as possible. See where it goes. We'll see whether this new area of business will pick up momentum going into our final episode. Speaking of finality, Scotty and Brian have come to the end of their year-long accelerator program with our first batch of startups. I asked for their reflections on how it feels to graduate. So your batch year with Tiny Seed ended last week. How are you guys feeling about that? Pretty sad. It feels like it flew by, but there was so much knowledge gained and relationships built, and it was a great year. I'm sad, though. Other than our our weekly meetups, the mentor meetups, nothing's really changed. I mean, you guys have said we can still reach out and chat with you and 
the Slack group's still going. So it's not that all that much has changed. I think really not being able to meet in person in the year together feels like it's still like there's no closure. So it feels a little sad. That is a tough part. I think for a lot of us, I know for me as well, due to the COVID quarantine, we just can't get everybody together. And so we had a remote three hours on Zoom trying to get that. And it's just not the same. So I I feel your pain there for sure. Brian, you have any thoughts or anything? No, I think Scotty summed that up pretty well. It does feel just sort of like finished, not finished. It's just there's sort of an unfinished feel to it. And I don't know, it kind of feels a little bit like when you have a, like a job that you really, really love and then that job goes away, it's something maybe like that, even though we feel very connected to the people in our cohort and, you know, with you and Anar and, and Tracy, it's still just sort of like, oh, we're no longer the special kids. <laughs> you'll, always be, you'll always be the special kids to me. Come on. <laughs> now, these, new, these new kids are special or The special or yeah. No, batch one. I honestly, like every batch, I think is, yeah. I now know how like a high school teacher feels or, or even just a grammar school teacher feels where they have a class that they get really invested in and they know everyone really well and they build relationships and then that class moves on to the next teacher and they get a new one. And it's like, they don't like that last class any less. They still have a relationship. And I mean, I've gone back and met with my sixth grade teacher just a handful of times, some by accident and some on purpose. And he still remembers me and we still have these crazy, amazing conversations. And he remembers a bunch of people in that class, even though he's been teaching for like 30 years. Wow. I think there's something pretty special about traveling the journey that we have for the past year together. And not just talking about the three of us on this call. I mean, all the Tiny Seed founders and Inar and Tracy and myself, I don't know. That's one of those that feels like a really long-term, you know, strong bond and commitment. And that's the other thing is, if you think about most angel investors or venture capitalists that don't run an accelerator, they, in essence, write a check and then you're linked up. They'll give you advice and they'll help you. But you're doing your thing and they're working with you. And that's in essence, the relationship we have now. It's not like we loaned you money, you paid us back by, you know, it's like we still have a totally vested interest in making Gather a success. You do because, you know, it's a huge financial upside for you. And, and we do because we have a super minority investment in it. And plus just, you know, the relationships we've built with you guys, we want you to succeed. Well, thanks. That means a lot. And I know that that's true. We've had that conversation several times with you guys. And I think your metaphor of the classroom is really actually better than mine of the job. That's what it feels like. It's like graduating high school or something. But it's been an amazing experience. It's like this fun little chapter in our company's history. And it was just really cool to share that with the rest of the cohort and with you and Anar and Tracy. Knowing what you know now, having gone through the batch, if you could go back, 14, 15 months and make the decision again, would you do it again? Hell no. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Boom. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you had to do it. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. Yep. That's an absolutely for me too. No doubt about it. I mean, the experience was really great and I'm sure it's just going to keep getting better as you guys refine things. But there's something really special about being the first in the first class. You know, it was a little, probably a little messier for you guys because you're figuring stuff out because it was like a startup for you too. And, but, you know, being part of that mess was, was really fun. It was like, I don't know. It's like being in the first class of 
Y Combinator or Techstars or something. I know it's a much different kind of approach that you guys are taking, but I think that what you're doing is going to be that level of success. And so it's kind of cool to be a part of the first class of that. Class one, you're now an alum. You're one of the alum that the incoming class looks up to. Yeah, or they go like, man, they made some bad choices in that first class. (laughs) What the hell? They were desperate. (laughs) Brian isn't giving himself enough credit. Gather has actually made a lot of smart decisions and tons of progress over the last year. But as we move towards wrapping up this season of the podcast, it remains to be seen whether they will be able to successfully complete their journey up market, especially during the economic stress of the pandemic. Now they have a tangible goal in sight and a couple new ways to get there with custom development work and services that can help with their cash crunch. We'll find out how it all comes together next week on Tiny Seed Tales.